What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here, dropping another Data Protection Gumbo episode for you today. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Dimitri Sirota. Dimitri is the CEO and co-founder of Big ID, a modern data intelligence platform. And he is a data protection and identity expert. He is also an established serial entrepreneur, investor, mentor, and strategist, and previously founded two enterprise software companies. The first one focused on security called eTunnels, and the other on API management called Layer 7 Technologies, which was sold to CA Technologies in 2013. So Gumbo listeners, Dimitri provides details on the role that data intelligence plays in data privacy, data protection, and also cloud migration. He also shares some tidbits of information around high profile cyber attacks and how to help you gain more intelligence before a breach happens. So let's get right into the episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Dimitri. How are you? Uh, very good, Demetrius. Thank you for having me. So I am really looking forward to having this conversation around uh, what Big ID brings to the table and also some of the interesting things that the Gumbo listeners will learn about data intelligence and also um, your security platform. So why is that important to customers, Dimitri? You know, I think one thing we've learned uh, over the past 12 months uh, during COVID is that Data is really how we interact with our customers. It is the kind of new perimeter, if you will, as you've moved more information into the cloud, as retail stores have closed, and the primary means of communicating and interacting with our customers, our employees, is over things like Zoom, over online stores. And so data has never never been more essential, right? I think sometimes uh, you hear about data being compared to the new oil, um, as something that kind of powers the digital economy. Um, and so as a consequence, I think, you know, as more companies collect data uh, around their customers, around their employees, around the things those customers and employees do, it's uh, never been more, more critical to get insight into, into that data, but at the same time, deal with issues of security and privacy. Okay, a- absolutely. And you, you mentioned, you know, remote work and... That's a, a really, really huge thing. And, you know, everyone has has been going through, you know, the pandemic and there's definitely been an emergence of increased remote work and also a rise in high profile cybersecurity attacks as well. So do you have some some interesting stories to share around, I guess, your platform or how your platform has helped companies in that regard? Yeah, sure. So there's two primary ways from kind of a cyber standpoint that, that we help. And, and one is more preventative uh, and one is more around response. So on the prevention side, um, we, we hear about incidents of breach where data around customers, employees, individuals gets exfiltrated and, and taken by bad actors maybe criminals, maybe nation states. You know, the best defense against that is to not put data that is vulnerable to extraction, exfiltration at risk. Um, And one of the things, one of the bad habits that companies have um, uh, learned to do over the last decade is to collect everything uh, and keep everything. They become pack rats, right? People that hoard as much data as they can, whether it helps them to tailor their, their website to their customer or not. And so as a consequence, companies have so much data in so many places in their data center and now in the cloud, 
one of the most important things they could do is to try and kind of separate the things they they need to keep from the things that they could, frankly, either back up, archive, or delete. And I think the shift to the cloud has brought this into greater focus because in the cloud, um, you no long, longer have the luxury of a, of a large file server that you bought and you just put as much stuff into it, you know, this kind of capitalized hardware. In the cloud, you're kind of renting space, if you will. And so I think as more and more companies are kind of are downsizing, if you will, so think about moving your house uh, and you're going from a, from a large home that uh, housed your family and you're, you're downsizing maybe yourself and your spouse to a smaller rental, um, you'll want to clean out the closets. You'll want to figure out uh, what you need and what you don't. And maybe, you know, the bell bottoms that you thought would come back into fashion <laughs> could, could, be, could be given to goodwill. And so I think to some degree, yeah. one of the things that we help organizations do is to sift through all that data and identify places where there's opportunity for reduction or archiving, um, you know, based on a variety of parameters, things like, is this data duplicated? Uh, is this data uh, kind of similar to data you already have? Uh, is this data being even used? Is it accessed by anything? And so the preventative step of being able to understand what you have and see if there are opportunities to get rid of those bell-bottom pants, maybe those, those high, high-heeled shoes that you don't really need as you move to your new kind of rental in the cloud, that's one thing. The other thing is really what happens in the event that you have been breached. You know, one of the challenges for organizations is to even identify if they have been and then understand the impact. And that sometimes takes a year or more. You hear about these incidents where hundreds of millions of identities were were breached and it may take uh, 12, 18 months for companies to even uh, fully understand what happened. And so one of the things we do is by kind of looking across your data, we've essentially created a blueprint, a map. Uh, of what you have, where it is, whose data is where. And so if there's data that you find in the dark web, or frankly, the big ID can find for you, we could compare that data to the data that you already have in your organization. We could tell you if it came from this database or that file server or this uh, instance of Hadoop. And by doing that, we could very quickly accelerate the investigation, help you identify that the data in this place was breached. Here are the systems that were accessing that data. And here are the users that were impacted by that breach. And here's the data of theirs that was um, affected. So that's the other way, kind of that, you know, so we kind of have the, those bookends of how do you best prevent uh, that cyber instance incidents? And then how do you respond to it? All right. That's that's pretty impressive, Dimitri. And and as you were speaking here, I was I had a lot of thoughts run through my head like, OK, what, well, how is Big ID doing that? Number one, is there like any agents or anything that customers have to install on their systems or is this all software as a service? Could you maybe give us a little more details? Because it, it sounds like there's some some type of scanning that's happening in the background and it's pulling information and finding out exactly, you know, what's where, as you mentioned earlier, and storing that data into some type of metadata lake or catalog somewhere, database, et cetera. And then that information may have some artificial intelligence built in and machine learning to tell it exactly, hey, you know, here's what you do with this information, classify this data, put it here, do this, do that. Man, you've architected our product. Is that? Um, I said you've architected our product. Um, yeah, so um, it, it is. It is based on kind of scanning and looking, looking into your data stores. So okay. very kind of 
very specifically, you know, we wanted to build a modern framework for helping organizations kind of look inside things, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's been a large industry in the last two decades that have built uh, tools, ServiceNow being one example, right. that allow you to kind of inventory your IT assets, your servers, you know, the databases that you purchased from NetApp or EMC or Microsoft. But there's never really been an effective way to look inside of those databases. What do I actually have inside? And the value really is is what's inside. It's the data. It's the data on me. It's the data on you and every other Dimitri yeah. um, that could be inside <laughs> and people not named Dimitri. And that's where we kind of come in. We help organizations look inside the places they keep data, whether it's SAP or Salesforce or AWS or Azure or their mainframe, wherever that is, and make sense of it. Now, there's a couple of challenges in in making sense of it. Because we deal with high-value data, like data on your customers, data on your employees, data on your transactions, data on your clients, you don't really want to move it. You don't want to copy it. You don't want to take all that that really high value, high risk information and put into one place because you're just creating a security problem. And so part of the kind of architecture of Big ID is how do you effectively inventory and map those data assets without moving them by basically giving you kind of a view of the data, a way to navigate it, just like a map does, you know, um, without, again, creating a replica. You don't want to reproduce it. And so that's really where our innovation has has transpired. Now, in terms of doing that scanning, there's a lot of things we've done that are I would describe as modern, right? It's a microservice architecture based on Docker. It's agentless, meaning you don't have to install software on, on systems to scan them. Um, it's very high speed. It's designed to deal with tens and hundreds of petabytes. It's able to look across structured and unstructured and data pipelines and modern things like data Databricks and Snowflake and Kafka. So it's got all of those parameters. Now, we do realize that different customers, uh, depending on their size, have different needs in terms of how much they want to um, install and run versus how much do they want Big ID to install and run. And so we actually have three ways for our customer to run the Big ID platform. There's a DIY um, offering, Mm -hmm. which is our enterprise offering, which allows them to implement Big ID in kind of a hybrid um, environment that can include their data center, their AWS instance, their Azure instance, their GCP instance. And it's really designed to be bespoke for the Fortune 250, where they could kind of run it wherever they want it. Um, and, and really, it's up to them. And they have the resources to do that. And they really want a feel that's kind of unique uh, and customized to their needs. Uh, then we have kind of a solution geared more for those 1,000 to 5,000 employee organizations that still want uh, a bespoke look and feel, but don't necessarily want to resource the management of the solution. So this is our dedicated cloud offering. And so here, Big ID basically gives you a private instance of Big ID that we manage on your behalf. So again, you get the benefits of having something that feels custom, but at the same time, doesn't require as much uh, resource investment. And then thirdly, uh, there's a new offer that we describe as SaaS. So it's a shared service offering um, that is much easier, much lower cost entry point, that is 100% from the cloud, can still scan data center, but really geared for companies or departments that 
you know, frankly, don't want to spend a lot of time resourcing. They just want to get up and go. Um, you know, we've done certain things like segregating the data. So each company still has isolated and separated data, but at the same time, much easier. So, you know, in summary, there's a SaaS offering, um, you know, for people that, you know, just want something that is easy and quick. There's a dedicated cloud for those organizations that want some levels of customization, but don't necessarily want uh, or, or have the resourcing to invest uh, in the support and, and services. And then lastly, there's a fully DIY for those customers that have data centers and want to DIY, uh, deploy wherever they want uh, solution. And the nice thing is all three are the same, are the same core technology. So there's no difference. Uh, They're just okay. run differently. Hmm. Okay. And and you also mentioned the cloud um, a lot. So it's definitely something that is accelerating. You know, people are migrating data, migrating applications, I mean, over to the cloud um, at an accelerated pace and it's it's increasing. So the way that your technology works, I guess, on premise is the same way that it works on cloud. And do you also support all of the public clouds, AWS, Azure, and Google as well? We do. Uh, we could scan uh, what's in there. Um, so, for instance, in AWS, we could scan S3 and Dynamo and Redshift and EMR and RDS and Aurora and Athena and Kinesis. And we integrate with all the kind of um, uh, infrastructure like um, uh, CloudTrails and Security Hub and KMS. Uh, and we do the same thing for Azure and GCP with their equivalents. Um, but on top of that, we could run natively. Um, we could run natively uh, with images for AWS and Azure GCP. And one more thing we do is we could actually have, uh, we could be resold. Uh, so right now we're resold by both Microsoft and AWS. And if they buy, so you can get the license key from AWS or from Microsoft. And if they buy it from AWS or Microsoft, it could actually work towards drawing down their annual commitment to those services. Um, uh, and soon we'll have the exact same capability on GCP okay. as well. That's great. And I'm, I'm jumping back a little bit, too, because you, you mentioned the name Databricks, and I was just reading about a $1 billion um, fund or something. I think they just received a billion dollars from venture capitalists. I thought that was crazy. Yeah, one one billion at twenty eight billion, incredible, isn't it? That is incredible. And so, do you guys have an integration into uh, their platform? Is that what that is? We do. So, so DataBricks and Snowflake, you know, they're all they sometimes describe themselves as data management yeah. platforms, but they're really kind of data clouds. They're kind of the the new new version of things like uh, Cloudera, if you remember. I do. So now people are putting data lakes into the cloud. And they're managing all their data. And Databricks has certain advantages in terms of an integrated place to store the data and do analytics on the data. Um, so people dump a lot of data yeah. into Databricks, uh, into Snowflake. Snowflake is technically a data warehouse. But yes, we have partnerships with both, uh, integrations with both. Uh, we could scan them. We could scan the data pipelines like uh, Kafka uh, that go into them. Um, and then we do a few other things uh, we'll be announcing shortly with them as well. Okay. I've been seeing a lot of stuff about HP. I think they have what, GreenLake? Is that is that their data lake? I don't know what HP has, to be candid. Uh, so I, okay. I, I, I don't yeah. hear as much about HP. So so please let me know what, what you do here. Yeah, I've, I've just been seeing it pop up a lot now because it's, it's, it's in the data storage and data protection arena. So data lake and storing data, you know, it kind of fits in that criteria of, you know, if you're storing data and it's being used for big data and analytics, then it has to match 
all of the compliance and regulations uh, like GDPR and CCPA and SOX and, you know, all of the other things, right? We can go on all day yeah. long. I, I'll take a look. I'm not as, so I, I'm not familiar with it. It hasn't come up at our customers, but I will, um, uh, I will take a look. Sure. Not, not a problem. And, and I guess from a compliance and regulations perspective, is there anything in specific that you, uh, that Big ID does, I guess, from a compliance and regulation perspective in regards to all of the different regulations? Do, do you like match, match each technology up or I guess each category of data based on what you're protecting for? Like if it's a financial services industry or a healthcare industry or, you know, any type of industry from that perspective. Uh, yeah, so we do. There's a number of regulations that uh, we cover, not just privacy, and we don't just deal with mm-hmm. uh, personal data or people data. We deal with any any kind of high value, high risk data. Okay. Uh, and so over the years, since we kind of launched our offering three years ago, we've expanded into arenas of healthcare, financial services, and so we have quite a few on our platform um, that care about things like PHI and um, audits that are more geared towards HIPAA, for instance, and healthcare. Um, in financial services, mm-hmm. there's countless regulations um, from GLBA to others um, that deal with uh, sensitive data. And I think the way we kind of characterize it is that all, all organizations have what we call crown jewels. These are just like the, the British crown jewels in the Tower of London. Um, these represent kind of things that are incredibly valuable, right? And I think some of us have those even in our homes. Um, and you need to be able to understand what you have, where you have it, why you have it, where it's been, and frankly, where it's going, and then hopefully provide additional capabilities to better protect it, deal with some of the compliance of it, and ultimately get value from it. And so we've kind of divided our product into two parts. There's a core foundational piece uh, geared towards finding, uh, classifying, cataloging that data, right? So you could think about uh, that action with any crown jewels, whether they're books in a library or or or, um, or the Queen's jewelry in, in the Tower of London. And we provide a very comprehensive framework to find whatever's sensitive. And you could define it yourself. We come out of the box with a whole bunch of definitions. We use machine learning to suggest what we think is sensitive. We tell you where what's duplicate, where, where you have similar data, all that kind of stuff. And then we have uh, apps, just like you have in your Microsoft or Apple or Google App Store yeah. that allow you to perform actions on that data. And those apps typically fall into three camps. There's privacy, protection, perspective. And privacy is a catch-all for things like compliance, which could include um, um, other types of regulations. And perspective are anything that kind of are dealing with customer value from AI and BI and governance, et cetera. Okay, got it. And for our CIOs and also CISOs that are listening to the gumbo, what would you recommend for a, like if someone was looking for a data intelligence solution, what would be some of the things that you would actually recommend that they make sure that they absolutely have to have in that solution before they purchase it? Sure. So so data intelligence starts with being able to kind of find and classify and catalog and inventory. Um, and so I think it's important that whatever they, they look at, there's an ability to um, accurately identify you know, what is, what is people data, what is health data, what is financial data, what is transactional data, what is IP data, uh, what is non-public information data. So the um, categorization and identification is pretty key. The one caveat I'll say is that, you know, 
there's different stakeholders in most organizations. There's CISOs, a lot of your audience, and they come from a world where you talk about data classification. So they think in terms of how do I type this data? And so you want to make sure that in any tool you buy for data identification, it provides you a lens that helps that security person uh, typecast that data, whether it's health data, not public information data, people data, whatever that is. Uh, and then again, you know, secret, top secret, you know, not so secret. Um, having said that, there are other, other stakeholders. There's privacy and compliance stakeholders that will want to inventory the data in, in air quotes. And so you want to make sure that they get a lens as well that allows them to not just find things like people data that are relevant to privacy, but understand you know, the context of that people data. For instance, is this Dimitri's data or is this Demetrius's data? Yeah. And that's a critical function for privacy and for inventory. And again, you want a lens for them. In a similar fashion, you have stakeholders in data governance that think about metadata. They think about the data around the data. Uh, because that's what their job is. Their job is to manage that metadata. Their job is to act as custodians of that metadata um, to ensure that it's correct and can be used for other purposes in data quality um, and data lineage. And so you want to make sure that whatever you buy for data discovery and kind of knowledge of your data also provides a lens to them so that you have kind of a single source of data truth that works across your organization, be it in privacy and compliance or data security and, um, uh, and InfoSec or else in data governance and um, uh, kind of the D CDO organization. So that's one thing you want. Uh, second thing you want um, is you want to take those findings and use them to get insight, the, the intelligence part. Uh, of, of what we earlier described as Big ID's mission. Okay. And that means being able to gather insight, whether the insight is around kind of the profile of the data, what data do I have on Dimitri, or how much similar data do I have, or do I have bad data with null values that, or do I have data where the metadata doesn't match the, the other data? Um, so you want something that will actually provide you that I didn't know this about the data uh, quality. Um, and that's kind of the intelligence, the insight that you gather. And then ultimately, I think um, you want to go one step further and provide a framework to then take that insight and intelligence you've gathered on the data you found and then action it um, for some purpose. That purpose could be compliance or privacy. Uh, and there's things you want to do in privacy, and I'll just name a few acronyms, things like PIA and ROPA and consent and DSAR. These are responsibilities that companies have around the data to meet some of the requirements of CCPA or CIPRA or GDPR or LGPD, uh, different regulations. Similarly, you'll want to take action around data protection, right? So you'll want to be able to do things like data remediation or file access governance or uh, data tokenization or data masking. Um, and so again, you'll want to have a framework that makes it easy for you to take that next step once you found the data, got the insight in the data, to again do something for the purposes of security, like deletion. Ultimately, I think as you move up that kind of um, staircase, you want to get more value from that data, obviously while preserving security and privacy. And so that means how do you better govern the data? How do you better um, create that uh, single golden record of a customer, that customer 360 problem? Um, how do you ensure that um, the data pipelines you're using for BI or AI uh, are correct? 
And so again, having a framework that allows you to either through integration or through additional software modules, take action um, to help you again, get value in a privacy and security preserving way, I would say is also critical. So again, I think the way we look at it, being able to accurately find the data and provide lenses into the three kind of stakeholders of uh, security or privacy compliance, security and data, being able to get insights uh, from the data um, is important. And then ultimately being able to take action, whether it's for purposes of privacy or protection or perspective. Okay. Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> that, that's a lot. And um, one thing that I also wanted to help out the gumbo listeners as well, especially the, the backup and recovery administrator, the storage administrator, uh, and also due to the pandemic, there, there's still a lot of them, of individuals without without a job. You know, they've been laid off and they are maybe trying to shift into uh, a new industry and take their current skill set and maybe move into an, a direction that's a little similar. I guess from your perspective and, you know, what Big ID does, et cetera, what, what have you seen, I guess, from a career perspective and what advice would you give to a backup and storage or data protection administrator who is seeking right now? And they may be looking to change careers. What 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 recommendation or advice would you give them? Yeah, so lots of companies, Big ID included, uh, provide uh, training and certification on their products. And I think as companies become successful and there's opportunities in the marketplace for, for working on those products, I think... It, it creates an opportunity for people that, you know, have had their careers kind of displaced. And so I think it's always important to refresh your skills. The good news for some of the folks and the listeners that are looking for opportunities is it's never been easier, right? You don't need to go to a, a physical class. Yeah, you could do right. all of this online. Um, and either through programs offered by um, the kind of mm -hmm. demis and so forth of the world or else by the companies themselves. So I think it's important to think about, you know, what are the tools that people are, that companies are investing in today, whether it's around privacy, whether it's around data protection, whether it's around, you know, data perspective, which could include data governance or AI or BI. And frankly, I would, I would encourage them uh, to not only research that, but look at opportunities to get, you know, six-week, eight-week certifications on some of those products and, you know, kind of ride the growth wave, right? You talked about Databricks. Um, you know, clearly if they're worth $28 billion today, that means there's a lot of companies uh, using them. And so that begs the question, are there enough Databricks administrators? Are there enough people thinking about Databricks security or Databricks privacy? What are the tools that go into that? Um, and that probably represents a pretty significant opportunity for a lot of um, a lot of folks that uh, want to retrain. Yeah. And, and you know what? As you mentioned that, I, I just sit back and realize we are in an an amazing world where the the opportunities are endless. You know, the the pandemic has done has done a lot on the negative side, but if you look at the up upside and the positive side around just where technology is headed, it is fantastic. So, what what's your prediction? for 2022 and beyond? What's your technology prediction? Where do you see things headed? Do you see more more AI and ML being implemented into more products or do you see something different? What do you see? Yeah, so look, I think it's, it's hard to build a product today that doesn't have ML or AI. I think anybody building a product today is going to be building a modern data stack. Um, they're probably going to be building it in the cloud. You know, I think you're going to see continued acceleration of retirement of data centers. I don't think anybody wants to own physical data centers anymore. 
Um, you know, there may be a few exceptions for the largest of the large companies that have certain workloads that are tied to systems that they just can't move. But for the most part, I think you're seeing um, an inflection where you're seeing further acceleration in the move to the cloud uh, because nobody just wants to own it. It's a headache. Um, but that in itself is going to give birth to a whole host of new requirements, right? There's platforms like Databricks and Snowflake that will actually house the data uh, in the cloud. There's platforms like Big ID uh, that will provide protection and privacy and, and added perspective on the data in these, in these kind of data platforms. Um, there's new tools for developers to stitch these things together into composite applications. So I think there's going to be a continued kind of digital transformation. I think you've seen this over the past decade. I think you're going to see a now kind of like a, a sudden rush as people are no longer tethered to their legacy. They feel freer to uh, completely expunge it. And I think that is going to be a big part of it. And again, I, I think a continued innovation, you know, you, one of the things that we've seen just over the last couple of weeks with the whole Reddit GameStop controversy and everything. Oh, man. That, yeah. And, you know, one thing we yeah. forget is, you know, even when I got into the internet, so this is kind of uh, mid, mid-1990s when the first browser came out at my, uh, mm-hmm. I was in grad school back then, and, and it was okay. just starting up. It was still um, um, a very limited part of the population that had access to it. You know, we, I, was, I happened to be studying physics, and the World Wide Web was actually started as a way to disseminate research papers in physics from CERN, uh, which is the cyclotron uh, particle accelerator in uh, Geneva. Um, so we had certain early access, and then, um, you know, a, a more commercial browser came out. But it wasn't something that was widespread. I remember I started my first company in 1998, 1999. And while there was a lot of attention online, you know, most people, you know, their exposure to the internet was AOL. They thought AOL was the internet. It wasn't. Yeah. It was this kind of walled garden. But, it, you know, that, that's what they thought. There was a lot of confusion. Net zero. Remember that? That's right. And, you know, and the people that were building companies were in Silicon Valley almost exclusively. You know, one thing that's remarkable today is we are seeing a worldwide set of innovation, right? There are people in small towns, there are kids, there are older people that are retraining, and it is worldwide. It is in in China, it is in Singapore, it is in Australia, it is in Poland, it is in Ukraine. You know, the just the number of people that are innovating and building and you know, you no longer have to be in Silicon Valley to raise money. You could be in anywhere. Um, and there's there's so much money sloshing around. And the reason I bring this up is this has become truly a worldwide phenomenon. And just like you've seen on Reddit where you could create this kind of, um, you know, large numbers apply to a single purpose, in this case, buying GameStop shares. <laughs> You could very quickly yeah. see the kind of rise of tools like Databricks, right, that have this kind of groundswell of popularity across the world, not just in Silicon Valley, but everywhere. And so I think that's the really remarkable thing as we enter 2021, 2022. And again, a lot of people sitting at home, a lot of developers, a lot of innovators. I just think that you know what, what the future holds is really almost this kind of world globalization in terms of in- innovation. Right. It is truly you're going to see brands and technologies and capabilities that are started in all kinds of places. And you're already seeing some of that. So I don't know if you're familiar with UiPath. UiPath was started in Romania. 
you know, yep. they still have a lot of their development there. Now, yes, they got their first kind of serious funding out of um, out of um, uh, London with Excel, but I think you're going to see more of that, right? Where people are going to come out of places that you never would have expected, and and you know, you mentioned Databricks raised uh, raised around a 28 billion. UiPath yesterday announced around at 35 billion. Yeah, I saw that Incredible. too. Incredible. Out of Bulgaria, you know, Romania. Yeah. Like, um, I don't even know the capital of Romania. Yeah. You know, like, so um, <laughs> So I, I do think that, um, you know, this kind of worldwide globalization around innovation is going to see this kind of exponential acceleration in terms of just the level and kinds of innovation we see over the coming years. Okay. Well, fantastic. We are at the end of the segment now. Is there any way you would like the Gumbo listeners to reach out to you maybe on social media? Yeah, sure. So they could certainly follow uh, Big ID or myself on uh, Twitter at Big ID Secure, on LinkedIn. We, we put out a lot of uh, good um, good information. Um, on Facebook, they could follow us. We have some nice graphical pieces on, on Facebook. And certainly they could follow myself. I'm on all of those channels as well on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. What's your Twitter handle? Mine is Dimitri Sirota, so it's very easy. Okay, got it. Well, Dimitri, it has been phenomenal having you on a Data Protection Gumbo as a guest. I really appreciate the conversation, and thank you for coming on the Gumbo. Yeah, thank you, Dimitri, for having me. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.